Welcome, everybody. Glad to see everybody here and get into God's Word a little bit with you. Um, I want to share with you just for a moment my seminary experience because this text reminds me um, a lot of that. We, we went for four years getting into doctrine and history and traditions. We learned Latin phrases that I've since forgotten. We learned Greek and Hebrew that I remember a little bit better, but um, still not as good as I probably should. Uh, and it, it was heavily, heavily education influenced. And, and it makes sense when the LCMS was started, one of our primary missions in this country was education-based, providing quality education um, in a Christian context. Uh, and that's, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, education can do a lot. It can protect us. It can uh, improve our station in life. It can, um, it can keep us from false doctrine. It can uh, empower us. There is one thing that I learned education cannot do, and that is express love. Uh, not sentiment, love. Not like I feel a love for you or I know what love is, but actually showing love. Education cannot do that. In fact, education can almost stall us in belief, in the belief side of our faith, because what we tend to do uh, in, in education, like we would, uh, especially in seminary, but we would take this scripture, and this is... Um, true of, of lots of leaders and churches, you can take a scripture and we pull it apart and pull it apart and hone it and explain it and define it and, and, and look, at the, look at the words and the syntax and the context and we can explain it to death. I mean, we can tell you everything about this word and never actually show love from that word. We can dig into faith but never actually express love from faith. And, and I, I, I bring it up, I bring this up because for years, for the vast majority of my life, I have only heard this text preached educationally, okay? I've only heard this text preached explaining or, or qualifying James's words because it sounds a lot like what he's saying is do stuff and be saved, right? I get my faith from my works, or I express my faith from my works, and this is salvation. So for much of the time, I have only heard this text preached in such a way that says, yeah, but Paul says, you know, you, your works come from your faith. So that's what James is actually saying is, is, is faith we are saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. It's always with works. Uh, and, and that is, so, so works don't save, but they're a mark of salvation. And we have to get this right. We have to get this right. And I agree, we do have to get it right. And it makes sense to, to preach this. It makes sense to be so attuned and ready for these conversations. It makes sense that we would be. I mean, the Reformation was born out of Grace alone, grace alone, grace alone, not salvation by works, salvation by grace, salvation through faith, not works, not works, not works. Ironically, when we only see that here, 
we ignore the context for a body so educationally based and context savvy we ignore the fact that James is saying true faith is more than a right confession and we worry about a right confession that's our primary task um, so what he says to communicate that, um, when, when we talk about, well, it's important what you believe. It's important to believe the right things, so you do the right things. And, and James has some kind of harsh words, some striking words, when he says, you believe that God is one. You believe the right things. You do well. That is a good thing. But even the demons believe, and they shudder. Belief is not enough. So we're going through the series Roots. We're looking at these six primary doctrines that Luther considered so important that he included them in his discipleship to families, heads of household, to wives, to children, to everybody. These are the six core things we know and exercise as Christians. These are not just doctrines. These are practices that connect us to God, where God himself has vowed to be found. So last time we talked about the Ten Commandments. Today we talk about the Apostles' Creed, a confession of the triune God, a confession of scriptural right doctrine. Now, I will say, I, the, this is not lost on me, this text is not about the Trinity. Okay? This text is about how to live in community. This text is about the fact that we have a shared identity and yet we are distinct persons. How do we then love each other? Um, to back up a little bit and get a fuller picture of the context, James starts the chapter with this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James's context is how, to, how do we love with a shared identity but being distinct persons? And we learn from Scripture that the people of God, the body of Christ, are a reflection of God himself. How God has established his people is an illustration of things we can know about him. So the community that he has set up between us also reflects the divine community, right? We believe in a triune God because Scripture talks in a number of places, in a number of ways, that there are distinct persons, three distinct persons, in the same but the same divine um, co-equal nature okay so what that looks like is matthew 28 um, matthew 28 when when jesus sends out the disciples and says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me right something that only belongs to god go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name name one not more than one, name, singular, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Okay? Jesus is clearly taking um, God's stage here, where he rightly belongs. And then you have 2 Corinthians, where... 
Paul closes the letter with a, with a blessing and a benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This blessing, a divine blessing of one God shared across three persons. And then you have creation where the Father is creating things by the word that he speaks that John later tells us is Christ himself, the word of God, while the Spirit hovers over the waters and makes it all possible, kind of prepping the land, so to speak. And then you have Jesus' baptism where God the Father speaks and says, this is my son. He, he is mine. He is divine. Not, I am, I am adopting this man. He was human, but now he's like me. No, he says, this is my son. Not becomes my son. This is my son. And the Spirit descends on him like a dove. We see all these Trinitarian moments in Scripture. And to the extent that Scripture actually falls apart, when we mess up the Trinitarian doctrine, there are, so, there are more things that don't make sense if God is not triune. It is important, I can't overstate the importance, that we interpret this object of our faith. It is important that we look into this thing and define it and say, that is God. That we never are content to say, ah, close enough. God has revealed himself and we should cling to that. We should interpret our faith rightly, but faith is more than interpretation, is James's point. In the creation of man, God says, let us make man in our image before creation there is some communal activity going on in the godhead community sharing um, sharing not just relationship but sharing activity and work is an inherent part of the nature of god there if if god is one person. One God, one person. There is no let us do anything. God, the one person does everything. But if God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one divine nature with shared activity, shared personas, um, and, and, but distinct in their persons, then there is a community going on. Let us make man in our image. And if that is the image of God, then man also has an inherent communal nature about him there is no there is no lone ranger uh, aspect of mankind in fact adam was so depressed and mistook and god was so off-put by adam's soul nature that he created a helper a partner to be with him because the nature of man is communal because the nature of God is communal. Our faith is not just in who God is. It is also in how he acts. It is in, in what he shares with us. It is in how he relates to us and therefore affects how we relate to each other. The divine Godhead yields to each other. They act together. They act distinctly and in unison. And that is not it. Okay? Because in, in, 
to James's point, we can say, this is God, this is how he acts, I believe it, that's the right confession. This is what we need to believe. This is the God we need to believe in. But that is not where God stops. God does not stop in this self-contained community who sits in heaven and interworks with himself. Neither are we a divine community, self-contained and self-reliant, where we are um, separated from the world, totally distinct and cut off. That's not what God did. The way he interacted with himself, he did for us, okay? This divine, perfect, self-contained community breaks out and shares himself. And this is what James is saying. It's faith that characterizes the people of God behaves like God. It breaks out. It's not self-contained. It shares with the neighbor. Specifically, and most importantly, it shares with people unlike us and in greater need than us. Right? If you say to the rich man, sit here, and the poor man sit down here, you've shown partiality. And that is not what God is about. Because God says, you down there, you sinner, you mess up, you mistaken, broken, useless thing, come sit with me. Come be with me. Let me cover you. Let me mark you. Let me bind you. Let me heal you. So James is saying, this is good to know. These things about God is good to know, but even the demons know these things. It doesn't mean anything. What we know does not mean anything if what we know is not then manifested in how we behave and how we relate to the people around us. Are we reflecting the God of our faith or just a God? Are we reflecting the God or a God? In the words of Jesus, a tree determines its fruit, the type of tree determines the kind of fruit it produces, and the type of fruit reveals the type of tree. So, in Matthew 7, these are his exact words. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And in case... You don't know anything about agriculture, that can't happen. A thorn bush makes thorns, and, uh, you know, fig tree makes figs, right? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Are we reflecting the God of our faith or just a God? What does our fruit say about the tree? If the branch is producing the wrong fruit, it's on the wrong tree. If the branch is producing the wrong fruit, it's on the wrong tree. So, just for a moment, do a little self-introspection, do a little self-examination, and Look honestly. Um, this is hard. 
It is not a pleasant process, but take slight comfort knowing that you are not alone, that this is fairly universal cultural behavior in our context. If the branch is producing the wrong fruit, it's on the wrong tree. What kind of fruit are we producing? Well, let's look at the kind of things we do. We get overwhelmed with extra curriculum. No, 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 sorry, not harsh enough. We overwhelm ourselves with extracurriculars, with appointments, with goals we set, achievements we have to get, with whether it be grades or promotions or results. We say, this is the fruit that I have to grow in my life to be considered a worthwhile person or for my life to mean anything. We think that we have to do everything to get anything out of life. And what kind of fruit does that produce? What kind of tree has fruits of stress and exhaustion and false comfort and anxiety that we won't get anywhere in life if we don't overwhelm ourselves? What kind of tree bears fruit that is more afraid of a coach than God? More afraid of a boss than God? If I don't do this, if I don't overwhelm myself, if I don't go here and choose this activity over community with God in the community of God, I might not get any playing time. What happens if I don't get any playing time? Well, I won't develop, or I won't be known. I won't get a scholarship. Well, what happens if I don't get a scholarship? Then I might not go to college. What happens if I don't go to college? Well, I'm going to die in a gutter. That's it. That's my life. Come on. I mean, okay, if worship is the outpouring of the heart, the honest outpouring of the heart. We show up in worship, and if we are honestly outpouring our heart, what is coming out? God, I know this is important, but I'm sorry, what are you going to do? This is just the way life is. Really? Can we even imagine being so honest with God? Can we imagine that coming out of our mouths if we even tried to be honest with God? No, we, we, we come here and we say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I dedicate my life to you. Here, here, here I am, all of me. Mm. Let's be honest about what's actually coming out of our heart. And I, I don't mean to pick, I mean, first of all, I, if you are a parent of a middle schooler, high schooler, I don't mean to suggest that you're alone. This is, you know, before here, I was in very rural Missouri, and it was the same. They had nothing to do, and they were always busy, okay? It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter. You will always find stuff to do. You will always be able to convince yourself, if I don't do this, what's going to happen to my life? It doesn't matter your context if you're not putting the brakes on it. And, it, and it's not just parents right? We work the same way. We work and we work. And if I don't do this, if I, if I don't get to this level by this time, I don't know what's going to happen to me. What kind of life will I have? What kind of life will you have if you keep living that way? And we think like, well, all this, all this busyness and all of this exhaustion and all of this 
stuffing God in a corner, it's okay because I'm going to make it up to him for an hour on Sunday. I'm going to make it up to him by volunteering. I'm going to make it up to him by fitting some devotions and Bible study into my life, which usually doesn't happen because it gets fit, because that little slice of spare time usually gets fit in with something else, right? So thinking that we can make it up to God by believing the right thing or confessing the right words or that God understands me putting him on the back burner is a very, very dangerous place to be because the fruit that that tree is producing wants to fit God in. That tree wants God to be a branch, not the trunk. That tree wants God to be an extracurricular, right? To be something that we fit in here and there. And Jesus has some very destructive words about those kinds of trees. I want us to be aware. I am not doing my job. And I, I am violating my conscience to the nth degree. If I am not honest with you about this this morning, I have to be. It's concerning. What it reveals about us and God, if, you know, we're looking at the kind of God that is revealed by the, by the tree, um, or our works, what this reveals is that God is as big as I want to make him, and he is never bigger than me. Okay? That is not safe. If the tree, if a tree is growing for my concerns and from my wisdom, I got news for you. That tree is me. Okay? I am not the branch at that point. I am a tree cut off, drying out, getting ready to be destroyed. And if that's not disturbing enough, Jesus keeps going. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, now, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On their day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Is that not the will of God? Did we not do all these things? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's terrifying to me. Okay? Because we can, I, I can preach, I can gather crowds, I can interpret scripture. You can make disciples. You can spend all the time in the world with your um, family reading the Bible. You can, you can serve and volunteer. You can change lives. Is that not the will of God? And he still says, I'm sorry. You're dead. You're dead. How, how scary is that? So how do we know? How do we know what's right? How do we know if we are producing good fruit? How do we know if we are healthy? What is missing from that list? You can go here, you can do this, you can produce that. What is missing from that list is relationships, prophesying, healing. What is missing is 
stooping down, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God. On the, he doesn't, he doesn't condemn those who are doing these things and not bringing crowds to them. That's not who gets condemned. It's those who are trying to do everything and even accomplishing everything, but are missing the core of what faith actually is. No partiality, sacrificial love for our neighbor, not time with our neighbor, sacrificial love imparted to our neighbor. The fruit of our faith reveals the God of our faith, in other words. So we're doing the Roots Challenge, we're doing these Bible studies to to know God better, to dig deeper into these doctrines, to read scripture, and even in the context of families, right? This is, um, I, I designed this so that we can spend time together, set aside time together and have structure around um, just asking each other questions and reading the Bible together and praying together. And that is good stuff. And coming here today for worship, volunteering, um, tearing down, all of that is great stuff. It's not necessarily fruit. It's not necessarily the fruit of God. Doing the stuff, knowing the right things, speaking the right things is not necessarily fruit. Going to the hospital with your kids, praying for your sick family and friends. Volunteering at a nursing home instead of football practice or whatever, mentoring, reading. I, if we're gonna do stuff, and if we have no time to do anything else, I would swap things that benefit me for things that benefit others. Okay, this is a mark of the kingdom of God. And still, that in itself is not the fruit of God. Okay, doing these things is not the fruit of God. Just because we serve does not make it fruit. What makes it fruit is being where God is. Being connected to the vine. Right? Being a branch that's actually on the tree. Where does God locate himself? Because that's where I want to be. Devotion becomes fruit because we're in the word with God. Not just reading stuff to learn. Not just reading stuff to check it off our list. Worship becomes fruit when we gather in Jesus' name because he vows to actually be there with us. That's when it becomes fruit. Not just because it's something to do on a Sunday morning and I want to teach my kids right habits or, or, or whatever, right? Our works become fruit when we are taking Christ to those in need, okay? Now, you can say like, well, I, what if we talk, what if I do all this stuff that's good for me and helps build my resume, but I talk to Jesus on the way? or I talk about Jesus on the way, and I witness to people on the way. So I'm still doing Jesus stuff. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, the care that we show, the witness we show, the instructions that we're given, overwhelmingly are for the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner, the dishonored, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, not people who look like us, sound like us, think like us. Not people who are in our economic bracket or our color of skin or our age. Over and over and over again, it is sharing with those who are stumbling and bringing up. 
It is sharing our stumbles and being brought up. This is the community of God. It, our, our love is not, our, our love for God, our love in God is not sentiment. It's not feeling something for God. It's not meditation, right? Well, I'm, I'm driving, so I'll just turn my radio off for five minutes and think about God for a little bit. Um, or, or, or doing a devotion or, or having certain thought patterns or knowing certain doctrines or theories or memorizing scripture. This is not who God is and it's not what the community of God is. God is love. Love. And he qualifies and defines love again and again and again. Love is self-denying. It's others first. It is sacrificial giving love. God breaks out of his self-contained trinity to invite you in. To invite me in. And then characterized by him, clothed by him, reborn in him, he sends us out to do the same thing again and again and again. He doesn't just send us away. He goes with us. He dwells in us. He marks our works and our love and says, you are the, you are the body of Christ. So instead of being self-consumed, he is consumed with you and with me on the cross. So may this belief in God of our faith, may this, this claim of what we know and this knowledge of what we are supposed to be and do, the knowledge of not just what we are supposed to be, but what God has actually made us in Christ, may this knowledge manifest the love of the God of our faith. May it manifest the grace that we've been given. Amen.